Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Two things about this time this morning, the message. One is, you drank a lot of coffee, so if you need to slip out to go to the bathroom, I understand. That's allowed. I won't call you out. And number two, I make it my aim every Sunday, but some passages of Scripture are more aimed this way at stirring affections for God. And so as that happens this morning... Um, it's very appropriate for there to be shouts of amen, clapping, whatever it is the Spirit leads you to do, getting up, dancing. Be ready, because this is a happy Sunday, okay, which is kind of nice. There's been a couple of harder passages in Genesis that we've had to walk through, so it's kind of fun this morning to get to go right to Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to read in a minute. I want to pray and just ask God to accomplish what he wants to in our hearts as we look at Luke chapter 2 this morning. So let me just pray. Holy Spirit, we, uh, we thank you for the gift of music. We thank you that we could sing these songs to you this morning as a way of stirring our own hearts to the truth that is so breathtaking. Oh, what amazing things we sang about this morning, God. So amazing. And we thank you for that. And I pray now as we look at your word, which I pray um, informs everything we just sang. It brings the absolute truth to everything we just sang, that you would use your spirit and this truth to make our hearts soar to heaven with gratitude to you, praise to you, um, fresh hope to you, and that as praise goes up, even as I'm preaching this morning, as praise goes up from our hearts to you, that peace would come down to our hearts on this earth, and that we'd be filled with such joy and such peace today that it would carry us um, through this week, through this holiday season, in a way that would literally make our lives bring glory to you, that others would see your worth, your character through our lives in this coming week. And so God, take a familiar story, a familiar passage, and, and breathe life into our souls through it this morning. Invade every nook and cranny of our lives with, with what we're going to see this morning, and that we would leave here a little different than we came, a little more in love with you, a little greater faith, a little more hope, a little more peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let me read what part of what was already read this morning. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is God's word. Praise be to God. This morning, I want to focus primarily on verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I want to use that verse to inform three points. I think there's three statements in this passage that I want us to enjoy this morning. The first is glory to God in the highest, and then on earth peace. And then lastly, among those with whom he is pleased. We could dice it up this way. We're going to talk about God's glory, God's peace, and then God's people. God's glory, God's peace, and God's people. So let's jump right into God's glory. We begin this moment of praise from the tongues of the angels where they say, Glory to God in the highest. Now, kids, look at the verses there. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Where are the two places that Christmas touches? There's two places. Where do you see it? Glory to God in the highest. And where else is heaven? Where else does Christmas touch? Earth. So we're going to go to the highest places this morning, and then we're going to come down to earth. So first we're looking at this glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. We, we sung about God's glory this morning, but sometimes that phrase glory can feel like jello, right? What, what does that really mean? So I think we need to start by just defining even what do we mean by glory. In verse 9, it says, The glory of the Lord shone around all the angels, all the shepherds. So God's glory was there. Well, what does that mean when that happened? You may have places in God's word that you go that help fill out that. For me, Isaiah 6 is the place that I go. It's the place that I think helps me to understand how to put some bones, some meat on the bones of glory, of the glory of God. So in Isaiah 6, we have six, two six-winged seraphim shouting back and forth to one another. You guys know the passage well, probably. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I would expect to read, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his holiness. Wouldn't that make more sense? So there seems to be a link here between his glory and his holiness. Somehow his holiness informs this idea of glory and what this word glory really means. So now I have to understand what the word holiness means, right? So we know the word holy very simply just means to be set apart to be completely separated. So God is three times set apart from us. He's three times holier, if you will, than us. He is supremely unique. He's one of a kind. There is no one like God. No one compares to him in his attributes. All of his attributes are fully uh, infinite and omniscient and omnipotent in every way. So he is... Join me in a moment of praise. He is supremely unique in his goodness, in his grace. He is supremely unique in his patience, in his love, in his kindness. He is supremely unique as your creator, your sustainer, your provider, and your promise keeper. He is the supreme savior, redeemer, justifier. 
supremely unique as the Messiah, Savior, Lord, and King. He is the wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We might say he is the great I am. There's no one like him. No one comes close and no one compares. So in Isaiah, where it says the whole earth is full of his glory, it's saying that the full manifestations of his holiness are somehow seen or put on display in the whole earth. The whole earth was created to reveal or show off that there is no one like God. So when you got up on Thursday morning and the trees were covered in ice and it was glistening and sparkling, God was showing off his glory. He was showing you that he is unique. Only he controls the weather and the trees and makes the, the, the rain stick to the trees and the sun to come through and for it to put on a complete light show for you to enjoy. That is the point of creation. So the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth puts on display God's supreme uniqueness. So now carry this back to Luke 2, where the angels proclaim glory to God in the highest. Meaning that the coming of Christ, the glory of God, is the highest it has ever been. It has never been higher. The supreme Ultimate uniqueness of God is seen now in the highest way and in the highest location. I think when it says the highest, it's talking about location. I think it's talking about magnitude. So in a unique way, in a unique way, the glory of God is in the highest at Christmas time. And because of that, it reaches to places it has never reached before. In a unique way, it reaches all the way to the heavens. It reaches out to the universe. His glory reaches to distant galaxies. The glory of God has now permeated and resonated into the everywhere. That's what Christmas is about. And it's not just in location, but I think it's in magnitude. Glory to God in the highest means glory to God in the greatest possible way. This event will glorify God in the highest or greatest way of any previous Events. So no event, no event since the beginning of time shows off the supreme uniqueness of God like this does. And so what is so spectacular, so amazing, so staggering? What is so breathtaking that it shows off the glory of God like no other thing? Well, we know. It's the birth of Christ. It's the coming of God in the flesh to earth. So we take these two meanings of the highest place together, and we say that with the coming of Jesus, the furthest reaches of the universe are touched and filled to the brim with the highest degree of God's glory that has ever been known. And... At Christmas, God's magnificent is put on display like never before, and it will reach into all space and into all time, forever 
and ever and ever. And so the angels proclaim glory to God in the highest. And not just one or two angels proclaim this, but it says how many? A multitude, right? A multitude of heavenly hosts. It literally means an army. An army of angels. Now look with me at verse 9 and verse 10. How many angels come to the shepherds to deliver the good news? Just one. Just one angel comes to deliver the facts. But when it comes time to praise God for the facts, it takes a multitude of angels. It takes a countless amount of angels. It takes a full army of angels in order to bring the adequate praise to God for this good news of great joy. Do you understand? One angel is no longer sufficient for praising God for the good news that was just pronounced to the angels or to the shepherds. One angel can bring the good news, but it's going to take an army to praise God for the good news. You see, God's greatness and value and worth in this moment in time is so vast and high and wide and deep and long that when it comes time to praise God for this greatest display of his glory, the coming of his son, it will take thousands upon thousands of angels in order to celebrate it. This coming of Jesus, the Savior Christ the Lord, is the greatest display of God's glory the universe has ever known. So it will take more angels joined together in one place than you've ever seen before. Just think about redemptive history. We've been in Genesis, right? Think about all the stories that we read in our Old Testament. Do you realize that God manifests his glory? He shows us how great he is through all of these different events, but not once do angels show up to praise him for it. So, I mean, we'd look at creation, right? Creation shows off the glory of God as creator, but when he's done, there's no angels. We see the glory of God as the promise keeper when he gave Sarah and Abraham a baby when they were old, but no angels showed up. We see the glory of God as provider when he provides a ram for Isaac and for Abraham, but no angels show up. The flood shows off the glory of God's justice, but there's no angels at the end celebrating it. The exodus shows God's glory as the rescuer, as he rescues his people, but angels don't show up to praise him for it. I mean, read through the rest of your Old Testament, packed with stories of God's glorious protection and power and patience and provision. I mean, it's amazing but not once do thousands of angels descend to celebrate it. Every other amazing and glorious display of God's infinite worth comes in second place to the coming of Christ. It comes in second place. It's the only event that's worthy of all of these angels descending. And in fact, the next time in redemptive history that we will hear of an event that is worthy of this many angels gathering together is in Revelation 5, where John says this, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures 
And the elders, the voice of many angels, numing myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and praise. And then get a load of this in verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. See, the the first time they gather together, the first time that many angels gather together is to praise God for the birth of Christ. And the next time we see thousands upon thousands of angels gathering together to praise God, it is for the lamb that was slain. Do you see who's at the hub of it all? We've got a savior who was born and who died. And it's only his birth and his death that somehow arouses the need for millions and millions of angels to gather together to praise God for it. It's crazy. It's what makes Christmas unique, if you will. And it's what's made Jesus' death and the gospel so unique. So glory to God in the highest the angels proclaim. What makes this event so supremely unique is that it's the coming of Jesus. And in verse 10, we see that with that, we get good news of great joy from a Savior. Good news, great joy, a Savior has come. But that's for Friday night. So come back. (laughs) Well, this good news of great joy this glory of God in the highest results in God's peace coming to earth. God's peace coming to earth. They say, on earth, peace. Peace comes down to earth. It seems that the glory of God in Jesus' arrival not only reaches to the distant galaxies, but it also impacts earth. When Jesus comes, he brings with him, he brings to the whole earth, peace. He brings peace. With the descending of Jesus to earth, peace descends. When Jesus comes to earth, peace comes to earth. When Jesus appears, peace appears. It seemed like it was God's plan from the beginning that when Jesus would break into Bethlehem in human form, that the galaxies would rise up and be filled to the highest places while simultaneously peace would come down for mankind to experience. So we might say glory goes up and peace comes down. Praise goes up from the angels and peace comes down and descends on earth. When we talk about peace, I don't think we're just talking about a lack of war. I think we're talking about a, a rest of your mind. Just that, that calmness of our souls. The quietness that can take place in our inner being. 
And I think it's important to God. I didn't realize that until this week that over 340 times we see the word peace in Scripture. So peace is a pretty big deal, right? It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And peace is a state of mind, I think, a part of our lives we all desire, right? And it can seem very hard to find during some seasons of life. And it seems like there's times where we can find peace and then in a moment, it's gone. <laughs> and replaced with stress and anxiety and worry and hurry, right? I've been there. Get up, ready for the day. Ah, soul's at peace, ready to walk with God, at rest in my soul. And within moments, something can happen. And all that peace is gone. <laughs> and suddenly there's anxiety and stress and worry and hurry that seems to rush in and take its place. See, the peace that Jesus brings to earth and offers mankind, I believe, is a peace that can survive. It can survive the unknown. It can survive the trials. It can survive the suffering. It's a peace that can impact, I think, our, our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, just how we think about us and others at the same time. Now, just to make sure I'm clear, when I say that Jesus brings peace to earth, and here when it says peace on earth, I don't want you to imagine that Jesus comes down with a big bowl of peace to give to everybody. The reason peace comes down with Jesus is because Jesus is our peace. It's him. So to have peace, you got to have Jesus. Or to put it the way the angels put it, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. So you got to have Jesus if you're going to have peace. If you're asking him for peace, you're asking him for more of himself. You need more of him if you need more peace. So don't think of peace as this thing that's out there that I want to find. It's no, if I want to find peace, I need to run to Christ. I run to him because he's the one that has peace. And notice that this peace really is for only a certain group of people. The peace seems to only be available among those with whom he is pleased. It's only for those with whom he is pleased. The peace comes to earth, but it only impacts, it only changes, it only affects people that God delights in, people that he has shown that he is pleased with. So it really doesn't come to just anyone. So, of course, the next question is, How do I be that person? I want to be that person. So how, how do I be that person that he is going to be pleased with, that he's going to delight in? And so we, we begin to look in circles out from this passage to make sure that we have a real understanding of what God says about that and not what we think about that. But what does God say about that? Listen, there is nothing more important in the universe then you knowing that God delights in you. You, you want to know that. I want to know that. And so here we go at figuring out what it means for God to delight in us. I think there's a clue in verse 10. I think there's a clue. And of course, I'm saying it's a clue based on the whole of Scripture and not just this one passage, but I think in light of the fact that we have the whole Bible, we have all of God's word, I think it shows us that verse 10 is, is 
cluing us in on things that are going to come in the rest of the Gospels and in the rest of the New Testament. So it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So we've got this one person with these three attributes, these three purposes, these three functions. He is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the good news that brings great joy and peace is the birth of this one baby that encompasses these three attributes. He is Savior, he is Christ, he is Lord. And you need all three of those. Trust me. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. You need a Savior, you need a Christ, and you need a Lord. And just side note, in case some of you have been taught this, you can't have Jesus as your Savior and not your Lord. Okay? You can't. So there's no, I received him as my Savior when I was 10, he became my Lord when I was 20. Can't happen. Either he's all or nothing all the time for you. And so here, this beautiful display of you need him as a Savior, as your Christ, and as your Lord. So first, you need him as a Savior because you need to be saved. (laughs) Yeah, we need to be saved. Our sins, all the stuff that we do that makes us feel guilty, things we regret, all the stuff we wish we could take back, the guilt and the shame that runs through our conscience and because of the Holy Spirit makes us feel the weight of our sin. This is what makes us guilty before God. And because he is supremely unique, this means we are in big trouble. There is wrath to come from God. We need to be saved from God. We need a savior to make peace between us and God. Because without a savior, there is no peace between you and God. Only wrath. In Matthew's account of this same story, he writes this about Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He came to save his people from their sins. If you want God to say, I am pleased with you, then you must turn to Jesus As your Savior, turn to him as your only hope for the forgiveness of sins and peace with God. There is no other hope. Only he can save. And he can save because he is the Christ. He's not only the Savior, the passage says, but he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one, meaning he was a man, fully man, but he was anointed. He was fully God. So he is the God-man, the anointed Christ, the Son of God. And because he is both God and man, he never sinned. Never. Little boy Jesus. Little boy Jesus never sinned. Get a load of this. Teenager boy Jesus Always pleased God. And 
Reality check. Adult Jesus did everything perfectly that God requires. And he didn't do one single thing that God says we shouldn't do. He got it right. 24-7 for 30-some years. Not one flaw. He was holy, holy, holy. Completely set apart. And so when he comes, his glory descends to the earth. So as this perfect God, man, he's able to bring peace because he can represent God and you. He can stand between the two and he can fully represent both of us. And that's why in Romans it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He was the Lord, he is Jesus, he is the Christ, and he is able to bring peace because he's able to justify. He's able to justify you. There's a link between Jesus being the Christ, your justification, and your peace. Maybe justify is not a word we use that often, but basically to be justified is to be declared not guilty. You are not guilty. This is what Jesus came to do. So you could be declared not guilty, forgiven of your sins. And then, because he's also fully God and he doesn't sin at all, he can credit his perfection to you. So you now have all of his perfection in your bank account. It would be like you are a million dollars in debt. Your bank account was negative, a hundred trillion. And he comes and he not only pays that off, gets you out of debt, but then he credits you $100 trillion million. That's what he does. He forgives you, and then he credits you. So we talk about this over and over again. Justification. Everybody needs to know it. If you're a member of Christ Church, I'm going to quiz you all the time. Two sides of a coin. I want to be justified before God. I want God to be pleased with me. I need to be forgiven. All my bad's gone, but I still need the good stuff. And so what does Jesus do? He clothes me in his righteousness. He imputes his righteousness to me. He credits his righteousness to me. This is why we need Jesus to be our savior. This is why we need him to be our Christ. We need him to be the one who comes to save us from our sins and then to give us everything that we need in order for God to be pleased with us. And he's able to do it because he's the perfect God-man. So he credits his righteousness to us. And so now we have peace with God. You got peace. Because when God sees you, he sees his son's righteousness on you. He looks at you and he's pleased with you just like he's pleased with Jesus. There's some peace. There's peace with your relationship with God. You are now someone with whom he is pleased. You've been forgiven and clothed. You're now someone that God looks down and says that he is delighted with. Delighted with. There, there's peace with God. There, there's peace with ourselves. The, the freedom that comes. The rest that comes. Because we know that we'll never live like we're supposed to. 
I'm never going to live up. Never. And so there's peace now. There's a way to fight guilt and shame and anxiety over all the things that we mess up in life. We can have peace because of how God sees us. And it gives us peace with people. I'm not trying to impress you anymore. And when you see my messed upness, you're only seeing part of how messed up I am. But I can have peace with that because God's pleased. And if God's pleased, that's all that matters. And so you can see me for who I really am because God has given me peace. So this is how you become someone with whom he is pleased. So he's the Savior, who is the Christ, and lastly, he's the Lord. The word Lord there means he's the sovereign mighty one. He controls the universe. Nothing happens in your life that is outside of his influence. God is in control. Shouldn't that bring peace? Do you understand how him being Lord should bring peace? Jesus comes as Lord to bring peace by saying, I've got everything under control. You don't, but I do. So Jesus is coming. There's this, there's this peace that comes because he is now the Lord of everything. We turn to him as our Lord. We turn to him as our Christ, as our Savior. And that gives us peace in so many ways. He's in charge of my finances. He's in charge of my family, my health, all of my relationships. And if Jesus can be trusted as my Savior, then he can be trusted as my Lord who rules it all. He rules everything. And this is meant to bring peace. So he came to be your savior who died for your sins, for your forgiveness. He came as your Christ so he can impute his righteousness to you. And then he comes as your Lord so he can be sovereign over everything that happens in your life. Thus, peace. Peace comes and floods our hearts. So I think the only way for you to become someone with whom God is pleased and to see him this way is if you ultimately delight in him as he delights in you, as you turn to him in faith and he gives you peace on earth. Give up being good enough in case you're there. Put away your to-do and to-not-do list. Jesus came to bring you good news of great joy that he's done it all for you. And that's the best news of greatest joy, that we can have peace. And what makes Jesus Christmas good news of great joy is that Jesus comes to do the impossible. To make you well pleased. He did the impossible. He rescued you and made you right with God. So this morning, I just want to ask you, is your soul at rest with God? Is your soul at rest with God? Is he your savior, your Christ, your Lord? And have you turned to him? Have you joined the angels in praising God for sending Jesus to be your savior, your Christ, and your Lord? Now, have you turned to him and just said, Jesus, I need you more than anything. I have no hope apart from you. Cleanse me and clothe me. Help me. Have you turned to him? And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I just want to ask you how you're doing with peace. Christmas time is so peaceful, isn't it? 
(laughs) I don't know how stressed out you are, and I know there are different circumstances that can make peace run far away. But I just want to ask you this morning, if Christmas, this time of year, is filled with good news and great joy. And whether it is or isn't, I would like to suggest that a way of increasing peace at Christmas is to increase praise at Christmas. Don't let the word and in verse 14 separate the praise and the peace. Do you see verse 14? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Don't let that word and separate those two phrases too far because I think they're linked. It is only when praise for his glory goes up from the heart, that peace comes down to the heart. Do you see that? More praise up, more peace comes down. You want more peace? Then engage in more praise. They're linked. So I guinea pig this for you this week. It works. It works. I'm telling you, it works. It functions. You want peace? More praise. More praise. Think about how glorious he is, all the ways he's unique and not like us, and praise him. And as you praise him, be warned, peace will come. It will. It will. So I think praise goes up and peace comes down. I think as praise goes up, peace comes down. More praise up, more peace down. The more we engage in praise, the more peace comes to our souls. And we get to take praise to a whole new level than the angels because we get to sing our praise. Nowhere, you find it if it's there, but I hadn't been able to this week, nowhere in Scripture do angels sing. They praise, they speak, but they don't sing. Nowhere. And I think, I have a hunch why. I think it's because Jesus doesn't come to save them. And so in some way, they're a little limited in what they get to do. But the privilege of singing, oh, that's unique for us. That's unique for us because we've been saved. We have a Christ. We have a Savior. We have a Lord. And so we get the privilege of singing to God, singing praise. And as we sing praise, peace comes down. So we can praise him for his highest display of glory in the coming of Christ. We get to praise him for being our Savior, our Christ, and our Lord. And we get the privilege of doing it in song. And so we're going to sing this morning. And we may sing some songs like we already have where it tells you that angels sing. And that's okay. It's okay. The songs are good enough that we can sing them knowing that that one little thing is not true. (laughs) So I would like to pray for peace over us as the band gets ready to lead us as we sing a few songs. And I'm going to pray that as you praise, that peace will come. And I know that some of you in this room need peace more than others, or at least some of you are aware that you need peace more than others. And so I want to pray that that happens even this morning and then throughout this week. Father, I pray for my friends in this room 
God, I know that there are legitimate circumstances, even family gatherings that are going to happen this week, <laughs> that there's just not peace for that. I know there are, are things that have happened in my friends' lives over the last month or two months or six months or even a year that makes it very hard to be at peace during Christmas. And so I, I pray, I pray that as they sing to you this morning, as they praise you this morning, that you would allow peace to come. I pray that you would allow peace to come and comfort them, calm them, give them rest. May the reality that you are their Lord bring a peace that goes beyond what they could ever have imagined. Lord, I, I pray for any that can hear me that have never turned to you as their Savior. God, I pray this morning they would acknowledge that they need you to be their Savior. God, I pray you would bring saving faith into this room to anyone from the youngest kid to the oldest person. God, bring saving faith, the ability to turn to you and thank you for what you've done for them in your death, in the shedding of your blood, and that they would find peace like they've never found before. So as we sing... Holy Spirit, come. Make our hearts filled with joy and thankfulness. And then may peace come down, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.